Welcome back to the Root of It All podcast. I'm your host, Michael Walters. Today, my guest is my uh, former youth pastor, former pastor, uh, lifelong friend. He's known me since I was probably 12 years old, I would say. Um, yeah, Ryan Gano. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Hey, glad to be here. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, a little bit about our story, a little bit of your story, um, how we intersected and kind of like we have a crazy history a little bit, you know, like, I mean, anytime you deal with teenagers, there's a certain aspect of craziness that is involved. But uh, just specifically you and I, we've we've been through a lot of stuff together and you've kind of got to see me grow up over the years and stuff like yeah. that. And um, I'm sure you have your own <laughs> things to say about that. But um let's let's start here so we i want to start a little bit um talking about your background and kind of where where you you you're currently in the seattle-ish area in washington um which is where i grew up but you uh you weren't born there right that's true i was born in kansas and uh lived there for nine years uh born to uh christian family both were actually both of my parents were raised Christian and I asked recently like how far back that goes and nobody really knows actually the people that are living don't really know uh, so for the most part it's kind of been Christians back uh, there's a couple of, of people like my grandmother wasn't raised Christian like she wasn't born into a Christian family but she started going to church at a very young age so that was a at nine years old, we moved out to the Seattle area, and I got involved in a church there and ended up going there for years and years and years, even though my parents moved back to Kansas and then back to Washington and then to Spokane. We've kind of been in one, I've essentially been in one area my entire formative formative years. So, is Do you know if there's a reason why they chose Seattle over other places? Yeah, well, I don't know Seattle specifically, but my dad had been born in Kansas, which is obviously the middle of the country. And we went out to visit my aunt and uncle one year when I was seven. And it was the first time my dad had been to the, I believe it was the first time he'd ever seen the ocean in person. And uh, he fell in love with it. At the time, he's always been in construction uh, in my younger years. And he, there was 
no construction happening in Kansas. So he would literally leave to get work. He would leave on a Monday morning or a Sunday night even, drive hours and hours and hours and stay for five days or six days even, come home on a Saturday night, sleep, go to church, get up and do it all again. So we saw him just one day on the weekend usually. So when he came out to the uh, Washington, Oregon area, he found that he really loved the area. He liked the green and there was work here. So he uh, being in construction, it was great. So it took a couple of years before I think he, they came out twice. And then the third year they're like, yeah, this is what we need to do. Or the, it was technically like a year and a half, but moved out. I think it was March. And the main thing I remember moving out is all of these crazy people. Cause kind of like here it's April. And if you don't know the Seattle area, it's usually pretty cold and rainy, but this week has been beautiful and sunny and hot by our standards, but very, very cold by most people's standards. So I just remember sitting in our minivan, we're nine, I'm nine years old and we're all bundled up in all of our sweatshirts and jackets and everything because we're freezing and we're watching people walk out in shorts and t-shirts and tank tops and we're thinking, <laughs> these people are insane. So that was my earliest uh, memory of Seattle. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably like 70 degrees. You know how people in Washington get when it finally is 70 degrees. They, oh, goodness. They lose yeah. their mind. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about. My daughter just this morning or just tonight at dinner, she's like, it is so hot. And it's like, it's not hot, but it's certainly not cold. Not not by our standards. So Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so you i, I kind of want to skip a skip ahead a little bit but um so from from 9 years old and yep what what kind of led you to um i'm i'm trying to think cuz i mean you've told me your story a million times myself but um i'm trying to think so from 9 years old what what kept you yeah. in church cuz i know i know that and you know this because you're a former youth pastor but like when kids kids get to a certain age where they kind of start to figure things out for themselves and they they generally go one of two ways they decide they're gonna stick with the church and um believe in god and really invest into that relationship and what god says about us um Mm -hmm. or or they really rebel against it um so for you what 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 kept you um walking that path Yeah. Uh, it was a couple of things, mainly for me, I would say it was relationships. Uh, I, because I grew up going to church, that was very normal for me. Just our family went to church. I remember regularly asking my dad if we had to go to church on Sunday and he said, no, we get to go to church. And that was just a very common theme in our house. But because my family was so connected, I was connected to more than just my family and church. So I had a really close relationship with our children's pastor when I was a kid, and then the youth pastor, uh, several youth pastors it ended up being, but one in particular. Um, and I was about 13 years old, and this I just really connected well with this youth pastor. And that was the moment when my parents' relationship with with Jesus turned into my own relationship. It was so fortunately for me, I was very young. And one of the things I say, as I've thought about it over the years is I'm so happy that I was young and you can talk about the chicken and egg thing, but really I've been very successful at whatever I've done in life. And you can say I've been successful because God has made me successful. And I'm totally fine with that. 
But had I been successful and not had that foundation of who God was in my life, uh, I would have, I, I honestly believe I never would have had a reason to have become a Christian. So I needed to get that foundation super early in my life because I just wouldn't have had a need for it. Even having that, it was tough. When I got married, uh, we got married pretty young. My wife and I met in high school, got married and started having kids right away. My oldest was born 13 months after we were married and uh, life got super busy. And in that time, I I wasn't sure I was going to stick it out with church. Uh, we'd grown up. We, we both grew up in a Christian home. We both knew what it was about. But we were at a point where we were just doing church because we had to do church. And it was not fun. It was not encouraging. It was I was back to that you know, time as a kid when it's like, do we have to go to church? And my wife wasn't even able to say, no, we get to. It was like, yeah, we have to go to church. Uh, we just, we weren't loving it. We weren't loving the place we were. Um, and that hurt because this was a church we had both essentially had our formative years in. I, since I was nine, but my wife, Lisa, since she was 15, she came into the church and that's when she saw me. I didn't know who she was at the time, but she was going to a Christian school that believed one thing, and she had been going to a church that believed uh, a different thing, but she didn't really understand why. And then when she came to our church, she saw people who were her age and actually like seemed to really believe what they were hearing and what they were what was being preached. And uh, so she kind of had to make that decision for herself. So even though she came to the church much later, it was really her formative like that was the place that her faith became her own. So here we were two people, young, married, we got a kid, we got work and school and all sorts of stuff going on. And we were not happy. And uh, it was really tough. It was a really, really tough season because I knew that that's what we needed to do. I, I wasn't going to throw away my faith, but I might have thrown away church. And we went through, um, I don't know how long it was, but I know that one day I went home and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I, I think I've got a solution here. Um, I said, we're going to go all in for, for church. We're going to serve. We're going to be there. We're going to be happy. We're going to treat it as if it's the best place we've ever been in our lives. And we love it, even though it's not the best place we've ever been. And we don't love it. We're going to treat it like that for six months. And I said, at the end of six months, if we still don't feel like this is our place, then we will feel free to say, this is, this is not for us. And we'll go find another church. We weren't going to exit church. We were just going to exit that church. And we had one kid at the time, just Ryan. And six months later, man, we were serving. We were all in. We were loving it. It was amazing. And it was the start of a very wild ride, uh, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> that's kind of like a, um, um, like a fake it till you make it type of theology, right? You're like, I, yeah. I have to like, let me put yeah. my best foot forward here and really yeah. stop joke, stop being halfway in and go all the yep. way in. And then, yep. um, you know, the cream will rise to the crop if this is what I'm kind of supposed to do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was really tough. Um, and we're, we're so glad that we did. In fact, um, I'll, I'll kind of skip ahead and then we'll go back a little bit. We actually did that recently at a new church that we've started attending in the last several years. We did that same thing because I wasn't convinced that it was the right place for us, for my family, for me. Uh, we'd been through a lot and we it worked so well the first time for our attitude because it, it really wasn't about the church. 
the church, I would say, did change a little bit during that time in the six months. But really, it was us, right? Our attitude changed. This became our church. They became our friends. Uh, it became our place to serve and get involved. And and it really was something that changed on the inside of us. So, yeah. You know, th that, that really reminds me of, I mean, I, I feel like that connects to a lot of different areas in our, in everyone's life is like, kind of like if you work somewhere and you're constantly like, this place sucks, you know, there's always going to be people standing at the coffee pot agreeing with you about how this place sucks. Yeah. But you know, you, you are in charge of your own mindset. Definitely. So if, if you are operating in a place where you're like, okay, maybe this place isn't the best, but while I'm here, I'm going to make the best of it. Yeah. So doing that, I mean, this is weird me even saying this to you, but, <laughs> but doing that, that's like a, that's like a place of like spiritual maturity, you know, like knowing mm -hmm. that you're like, I'm not invested in this, but I'm going to make myself be invested to see yeah. what God has in store for me. Yeah. And, I, definitely. and to think that you've done that in like, not once in your life, but twice in your life. And, and yeah. not only that, but those times being what, 25 years apart or something. <laughs> yeah. They were pretty yeah. significant. 20 yeah. years. 20 years apart. Yeah. Yeah. That that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, and you know, Michael, I'm thinking right now, totally unrelated, but yet related to what you just said, I'm getting ready to preach a message on marriage. And I think that's a, a key in marriage too, because it's like, there's so many times in marriage that you go, I'm not invested. Like I, I'm, I'm just kind of going through life. And, and uh, I think it's it's good. Sometimes you just got to go, you know what? Maybe the problem isn't her. Maybe the problem isn't him. Maybe the problem is me. And that's that's what we had to do in church. And we have to do it in all areas of life. So I think there's times where you're like anyone who is like, hey, marriage is great. Twenty four seven. We never have any issues. Like I would look at those people and be like, OK, so you so you guys aren't opening up about anything because you're mm -hmm. both liars, because that's yeah. not how it is. I mean, yeah. you've obviously been married longer than me, but I, you know, I've been married seven years now. So, um, yep. so, you know, I, I look at it that way. There's times where things are just kind of okay. And then there's times where things yep. aren't good. And there's times where you're like, man, we're good. Like specifically with me and my wife, we've been through seasons where we feel like, cause we're such good, like teammates, right? We, we mm -hmm. do things really well together. Um, I feel like there's times where you, you're like, man, we're, we need time together because we feel like we're roommates, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so to get to a place and to be very, uh, like so self-aware that you're like, she's not the problem or he's not the problem. I'm the yeah. problem, you know, yeah. kind of like you got to start by checking yourself before you decide you're going to check anybody else, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, what what's the scripture that talks about um he he without sin cast the first stone you know yeah so it's like check yourself first and then totally and then, and then we'll worry about some other people you know yeah <laughs> there'll be plenty of time for that if it really turns out you're not the problem <laughs> yeah definitely but what yeah. what nine times out of ten you're the problem so oh goodness there's always something right every time i've had a, it takes two to tango so every time i've had a conflict in any relationship I have at least had a part of it, right? You, I'm never, contrary to what my wife thinks I think about myself, I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine her saying that. That's yeah. crazy. Right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, so you guys get married, you have kids, all that good stuff. And so, yeah. so we move ahead and. Yeah. So is, is we that move kind ahead. of. So, Go ahead. I was going to say, is that kind of where our paths get ready to cross? That's kind of where we started. Yeah. So part of our getting involved in that initial six month period was uh, we got involved in youth group. I, I say that I became an accidental volunteer youth pastor. That's kind of how I describe it. That's the way it happens I, sometimes. <laughs> I was not planning on it. It was not anything I dreamed about. And uh, in the beginning years, it wasn't even anything I talked to God about. Uh, we definitely didn't have that conversation where God, you know, I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And he said, thou shalt be a youth pastor. Uh, that never happened. But what happened was my wife was in staff meetings at the church and though I joke about it, and, and I say that she was the token young white girl because it was an older staff and she was just kind of like this young married girl. So they brought her to staff meeting. And one day she said, uh, Ryan, we're going to be getting involved in youth. And I said, what? Where did that come from? And she had been hearing about the need of youth leaders. And she just hears about it week after week after week at staff meeting. She's like, fine, I guess I'll do something. So we get involved in youth. And we're just kind of adult chaperones. We're not really doing much. And uh, we just, you know, paying attention, going through. And we ended up through a series of events that were not pretty. I think this was all before your time, really, Michael. But uh, through a series of events, we ended up as the youth pastors of the, the youth group. I do. Rem I remember. I know the series of events you're talking about. We won't talk about those specifically, but um, yeah, that was. I would probably say a good year before. We, yeah. Me and so my you're. Friends yeah, you were aware of it, kind of the aftermath a little bit, but right. yeah. And yeah, so we we ended up as youth pastors. Um, just super excited. Um, I worked. I guess to to back up a little bit. I started my career in tech. I've always loved computers. I've loved technology. So I started out as a computer person, worked for Adobe for a lot of years and left Adobe to become a volunteer youth pastor. And uh, that was quite a change. And it worked out really well in some areas and not very well in others. Unfortunately, tech industry pays really well and uh, volunteer anything pays nothing or next to nothing. And I was in the, the nothing category and the next to nothing category, kind of back and forth a little bit over the years. But we did that for, uh, for a lot of years and had to adjust. And we had four kids by this time. So I had a little baby and uh, that was cool as a youth pastor. We had two kids while we were in the youth group. So the, the youth getting to, to love on our kids was really awesome. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So. That was that was honestly one of my favorite parts about um, if you remember when Ariel was younger, I used to, you know, I used to walk around with her like on my shoulders all the time. I remember yep. that. Um, yep. So I had a lot of fun with her when she was younger. Yeah. But but I <laughs> it's so funny that you kind of talk about how you um, it, it's funny hearing how you say, oh, you know, I left a tech job that paid me well to something that didn't pay me at all or little to nothing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the thing about ministry that they always say is like, hey, if you're in ministry for money, you're in for the wrong reasons, because if you're looking for money, you're probably not going to find it. Um, yes, so true. Yeah. And then um, the other thing that comes to mind is I remember sitting, you were preaching on a Wednesday night in youth group and you were sitting on the stage and 
you were basically it was the sermon that you were giving that was telling us about how you were um, quitting your job at Adobe to be a full time youth pastor. Mm -hmm. And one of your, um, I guess, visual aids that you were using was you had I you have your master's degree. Or a bachelor's? I have a bachelor's. I do not have a master's. Okay. So I think you had just gotten your bachelor's degree in, in yep. something related to the tech industry. And yep. you had like showed it to us and you were like, so I spent money to get this. And and then you like threw it on the ground and you're like, now I'm not going to use it. And then you like <laughs> told us. And I remember, I don't remember how old I was at the time. Let's say I was like 13 or 14 or something. But um, yeah. at the time I was like, man, that's insane. He's has a wife and kids and stuff like that. And looking at it now, I'm still like, man, that's insane. He he has a <laughs> wife and he has four kids. I couldn't imagine doing that. That yeah. oh my gosh, my wife would probably actually kill me for even <laughs> even <laughs> contemplating that. But um, it was yeah, it was a huge uh, a huge thing, and it it had its good and it had its bad moments. Uh, what it what it did that I really appreciate is, you know, you fast forward 15 years and we essentially did it again. We did the same thing. I was at a high paid tech job and I went to become a pastor at my church in the last few months. Um, the difference though, and, and I love this aspect of it. I was, I learned so much in that first experience that I went into the next experience with my eyes open and not the, you know, not that I ever thought, oh, if you, you go into ministry, it's, it's for the money. I never thought that. But I just I kind of had this view of if I do what I believe God wants, everything will work out perfectly. And while I think there's some truth to that, I think the the reality is far more complex than that. And that's what we learned last time that we were able to use this time. Uh, as we made the transition, it's been a much smoother transition and a much more, um, I, I wouldn't say it's been, you know, all unicorns and rainbows, but it, we've been aware of what to expect and haven't been as surprised as we were uh, the first time, I would say. And uh, you don't have all the kids living with you still, right? Or two of the you kids? You know, there's down? a funny story about that. <laughs> we didn't have all the kids living with us. <laughs> So we have a rule in our house. Um, you've, you've been to my house, but we recently in the last several years, but uh, we built an apartment, finished an apartment downstairs. We had an unfinished basement. So we put an apartment in. Uh, this was right when Ryan was about to, to be um, kicked out is, is how I'll say it. There's not really a better way. We have told our kids from the beginning of their life that when you turn 18, you move out of mom and dad's house. And we fortunately, we've been blessed and we have a nice house and we built an apartment. And what we do is we charge the kids if they when they move out, they can move into the apartment at very low rate. But then the, the uh, payment goes up by one hundred dollars every year. So the idea is uh, they can move out and kind of get their footing and figure out what it's like to live on their own. But they can't get too comfortable because the, the payment goes up. And eventually they're not going to want to pay $4,000 to live in a 400 square foot apartment. <laughs> However, would? I will let them live there for $4,000 all they want. Yep. But so we, we do that and we moved, Ryan moved out and then his sister moved out. So Kristen moved. So Ryan moved into another place. So we had Kristen living 
elsewhere. I mean, she lived in the basement, but she lived elsewhere. Ryan lived out of the house. And then with COVID last year, when we had the lockdown in April, Ryan came by and he's like, hey, I live in a house. I'm like renting a room in a house in Everett with these people I don't know. I'd rather spend two weeks in my house with my family than spend two weeks in lockdown with the the kids. Because at the time, it was going to be a two-week lockdown. And uh, so he said, Can, do you mind if I come home? I said, yeah, that's no problem. We've got the extra bedroom. So he came home. And then the lockdown extended and extended. And then his lease was up at the place in Everett. So I'm like, what are you doing? So he canceled his lease there and he went right back into paying us rent. So we actually have two kids living at home, paying us very nice rent. And the other two still live like actually at home. Although Eric is almost 18 and he's planning to move out. So he just got a job and uh, in construction actually, and is planning to move out possibly. He might move into the apartment or might not, but so yes, technically all of my kids still live under my roof, but <laughs> <laughs> through a weird series of events um side note that also blows my mind that eric is 18 years old <laughs> i know i, uh, I remember ariel's talking about like, driving she's like i want to drive the car i want to practice yeah it's yeah, crazy that's crazy too you're getting old michael i know i <laughs> i feel old every day don't worry about it um <laughs> and and my wife who is two and a half years younger than me or three years or whatever it is is reminds me that i'm old every day even though i'm barely older than her you know it's not like i'm 10 years older or something i hear um, but anyway um okay so i i want to talk about our so you obviously kind of rebranded our youth group right mm -hmm. we we had a name or whatever but you yep. you came in you um, at our church we would walk down these stairs into the basement and that was the youth room down there right and yep. so you basically convince the pastor hey we need to do some construction down there and i want the youth group to have access to all of this area down here um mm -hmm. outside of the kitchen and all that stuff obviously but yeah. um a good chunk of it we had access to and you rebranded it you named it uh world changers mm -hmm. um what was your what was your thought behind world changers yeah the it really was you know i mentioned earlier how did i get involved with christ and it was through the relationships that I had. And one of the, when we talk about rebranding the youth group, one of the things that I saw in the youth group as I was just chaperoning was it was very event driven. Uh, it was a kind of an experience driven group. So there was a lot of party nights and game nights and, um, you know, a lot of who can drink the Coke the fastest or whatever. Right. So, and I really, that stuff never appealed to me. And it's not why I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christ yeah. follower because of the relationships that have poured into me. So we really felt like um, we're here, not, not we as in, you know, me, the youth leader, or even us, the youth group, but we as, as Christ followers are here to change the world. If, if I get to my deathbed and I look back or if I get to heaven and God kind of shows me a highlight reel of what happened in my life and there was nothing there that really mattered that I will be devastated. Like that, that would be such a sad thing for me. And I think for any Christian, that would be a really, really sad day. Um, especially if he were to 
combine it. Like I can't imagine what this would be like, but you know, imagine God combines what actually happened because you were on earth with what could have happened because you were on earth. Had you done what he wanted you to do? Um, And so that was the name. uh, But the real focus of the rebranding was um, our tagline was changing the world one relationship at a time. And it's because we believe relationships are what matters. And it's really cool. I mean, you and I, we've, we've been in contact a little bit over the years and kind of kept in touch and I know what's going on, but seeing what you're doing with this podcast, seeing what you're doing at church and having you reach out to me is like, it worked, right? It, yeah. <laughs> is, is, I mean, looking at you, you are a prime example of what we were trying to do. And it just excites me every time I see what's going on in your life. So well, that's cool of you to say. I know that I was um, probably the, one of the problem uh, kids that you had in there, just kind of doing whatever I wanted and all that. Yeah, type everybody of stuff. had their moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, w- I wanted to say this because as as I was kind of sitting today and I was thinking about, um, I was like, man, what what, what questions am I going to ask Ryan that are like unique to our situation? And, and I constantly look back on it because of your experience with tech and with Adobe and stuff like that. Creating the things that we were able to create as a um, as a youth group was was so cool because yeah. we got to create like these really interesting videos and to to come up with announcements. And I mean, we even did it for the main church, you know, yeah. um, so it was cool to create these videos and these like little segments for different sermon series and stuff that, that, that we were walking through. Um, I, I specifically remember the one that, and if I watched it right now, I'd probably bust out laughing cause it would be so funny to me would be the, um, do you remember the Benjamin Franklin experience oh, thing that you did with yeah. Jack? Um, yes. my friend Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you having that tech background and being able to add visual effects to videos and, being able yeah. to do all that stuff like nowadays in youth group, that would be really fun, especially back in the early 2000s. It was nobody could do it. Yeah. yeah, no one could really do it. You were like way ahead of a, a lot of people when yeah. it came to that stuff. And so that made that made youth group really fun. That made spending That's time cool. with your youth pastor really, really fun. And I always look back on that in like a very fond way saying like, man, we really had some pretty cool moments like growing up in a youth group and it, because like, you know, like I hate to even say it this way, but growing up with like, if you had an older youth pastor, like it was cool that you were a little bit closer to our age than the average mm-hmm. youth pastor was because like other youth pastors in other churches, they're like already in their forties or fifties or whatever. And it's yeah. like, Hey, you're the associate youth pastor, but the pastor is saying that you need to be the youth pastor also, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the last thing you want to do is sit down with the 50 year old man and he wants to talk about like premarital sex and masturbation and like all this weird, like as a teenager, yeah. you're like, I don't want to, what? Right. I don't want to talk about that. And so yeah. I don't know. I just felt like you did like a really good job of like being real and, and kind of like, I, th- I think in my mind when I, when I look back, I say, okay, so Ryan did the best job he could do as far as how can I introduce these young boys and girls to to god who god is what god says about them 
and help them experience God in a real way where um, they could build that relationship and start to figure out what their life mm-hmm. is going to look like. Um, and I think that's world changers did such a good job at that. Um, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes as far as like drama and stuff like that. But I grown up, I never felt like there was that much drama. It's, I guess it's good. The other co-leader was your wife. So it made it <laughs> helped. Yes. Yeah, it helped a little yeah. bit. No, that's so. that's really good to hear because that was our goal, and I'm glad that it, uh, I'm glad it translated to you uh, on the receiving end that that you were receptive of that, and I think other people were too, having had other conversations. It's just it's really cool because as a youth pastor, I mean, anybody who's been a youth pastor, you don't know if you're reaching anybody, right? Because th- you just don't know they're they're behaving like teenagers and teenagers behave erratically and uh it was it's so it's really tough until you see several years down the road and go okay some of it sunk in at least at least some of it and that's what we were going for so that's really cool yeah so uh let's let's move ahead a little bit you know the the youth group is doing well um we we've kind of revamped the whole thing for me i'll tell you that i remember we got to a point where you were like michael um you've graduated so you can't be in the youth group anymore and so that was like a real adult moment for me where it was like good things Mm -hmm. can't last forever you know and so because I really enjoyed my time there and so it was really hard for me to to see um like my friends still in youth group and I couldn't be there yeah. Um, and if you remember, I transitioned into like the Awana games director for our church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love doing that. I had a lot of passion behind that. It was really fun for me, but I couldn't help but like look across the room and be like, man, look how much fun they're having over there, you know? <laughs> um, so, so, so moving on, I mean, obviously you eventually, you eventually leave and you're not, you're not doing that anymore. So kind of, talk through that how, how yeah that, whole process so that was um that was a painful painful experience um it was a good experience but it was a painful experience um we we were really wondering if we were where god wanted us to be my wife and i and um again this was the church i'd grown up in church she'd given her uh, had her spiritual formation in church our kids the only church any of our kids had ever known and i was out this was in 2009 um, 2010, 2009, 2010, we're kind of struggling. What are we supposed to do? What is it that God is calling us to do right now? And I actually was on my way to the dump and in my little Brown pickup truck, driving to the dump, taking some garbage and the Arlington area where, I, where we live, there's a lot of little businesses on the way to the dump. And I remember I was driving through and I, uh, I just really felt like God said, I want you to reach these people who are. Right now, if you remember, 2008, 2009 was a really tough financial season. The, the housing market had completely collapsed. And uh, just financially, it was just devastation. And I, um, so I, I'm like, well, okay, you know, we'll pray about it. We'll think about it. We'll uh, talk with our pastor about it. And we ended up in 2010 was when we, uh, left the youth group in Everett and planted a little church in Smoky Point and uh, just worked there. And 
had a couple of people that came with us from the church, not a lot because I wanted to and really tried to leave the church well. I did not want to leave on bad terms. I didn't want anybody to think I was trying to take people. So I tried really hard to leave the church well. And I think on some level that hurt some people's feelings because they felt like they were not wanted, uh, which was not the, not my goal at all, because I did, I mean, I want everybody in church and I want, want to have my friends with me, but I didn't want to be perceived as being any sort of a church split. So we, we planted this little church and it kind of hovered. It was, it was pretty small. I mean, our, our biggest attendance was I think 29 or 30. So it was really a small church and it never got above that critical mass. I mean, I remember having conversations with people who came to church and they're like, I love the church. I love what you're doing, but there's just not enough people here. And I would have this conversation. It's like, well, if you would stay and then the next person would come, now we're closer to having enough people here. And so we have this conversation and um, we ended up, we did some really cool things in the church that I learned later. Again, you always learn this stuff looking back. You don't necessarily know it going in. Uh, one of the things that we did as a church was because we were a small church, we had some really cool things uh, relative to our expenses. We had a massive budget because we had, a group of tithers. Uh, I was one. I was working in the software industry again at the time. So I'm tithing. Our rent is super low. I'm not paid. It's so we had a lot of excess money, relatively speaking. Like it wasn't thousands and thousands of dollars, but it was more than we needed. And we made this this plan that every quarter we would empty our checking account, take it back to zero, and we would donate it somewhere along the way, donate it to somebody in the world or some uh, something or event that was going on. We would just donate all of our excess funds. And one of the things that we did was, I don't know if you remember, Michael, we did the making Christmas better where we went out and actually collected. You may not have even been in the area when we did that. I don't remember, but we did, uh, uh, we collected $1 from everybody. Like we'd go to door to door as a youth group and we'd collect a dollar. If you got five people in your house, all we're asking for is $5. And if you have a need this Christmas, let us know, give us your names and we'll, we'll be buying gifts. So we did that as a youth group. Well, as a church, we did that a, a couple of years later, we got introduced to this family who had a baby. She was five, but she had a heart problem and needed a heart transplant and was very, very sick. And as a church, we just said, you know what, we've got an extra, I don't know, I think it was between a thousand and $1,200. It wasn't a huge amount. But I said, we've got extra money. We're coming up on the end of the quarter. What if we just poured all of this money into this family? And we just said, let's, let's just bless them this Christmas. So we did. We, we found out how many kids were in the family. It was just the one and uh, mom and dad. And I showed up at his work. He worked at a Jack in the Box. He told me this later. He said, you showed up. And I was expecting like a gift, like uh, something. And he said, but when you took me out to your car and opened it up and I saw a pile of presents that you guys had picked out for us and wrapped for us and cared for us. Uh, I was just blown away. And I did not know this until much later. He and his wife had been in a church in Everett, a really big church in Everett. And when they were going through trouble with their daughter, um, nobody at the church cared. Nobody at the church reached out to them. And they had essentially given up on church. And he told me several years later that if, 
if we hadn't had that encounter with them, he doesn't think that they would be in church at all. And I, of course, didn't know this at all. Uh, and now this girl is a little bit younger than Ariel. My, so she's a little younger. She's a year younger than my youngest daughter. And she did end up getting a new heart. And we still keep in contact. And he calls me if he's got questions or thoughts or anything. Um, and I look at that little church. And through one lens, I can look at it and go, man, it never even got off the ground. It just kind of bounced along the runway. Um, and I can look at it through another lens and think, but we have a family and we have a little girl named Lacey who is growing up in church and growing up knowing Jesus because our church that never really got off the runway cared enough about them that they're still in church and they're still following Jesus. Uh, and it, it was huge. And you don't know that when you're there. All I know is this family came one Sunday and then they didn't come back. And I didn't know anything about heart transplants, but like, during flu season, they wouldn't be there. And if there was any sickness, they wouldn't be there. So they were like super hit or miss. And he told me one day, he said, we were so blown away by the gifts. But then when we came to your church and we saw that your church had no carpet on the floor, it was just a concrete. We were in a big building, uh, in a big room with just concrete floor. You had no carpet on your on your floor. We were so blown away that rather than buy carpet for your floor, you had poured it into our family. That just really touched us. And that was just, that was amazing. Um, was, so was that, was that the building that you guys got that was like an old Hollywood video? That was not, that was the second one. The first oh, okay. one, yeah, we, we had the Hollywood video and uh, I've, I've always been a believer that God will do amazing things. And we just need to think outside of our box that we put him in and that we put the world in. So I called this, Hollywood video. I'm like, you know what? We're a small church. We don't have any income right now. We haven't even met. We'd love to rent your space. And I, I said, I'd, I'd like to rent it for $500 a month. And she almost laughed at me and I didn't know why, uh, but she said, well, I don't think the landlord is going to accept that, but I will take it to them and I'll, I'll come back with you. And I said this, I said, we want to rent it for $500 a month, but what we will, we'll make three promises. Uh, number one, I think it was three. Um, yeah, it was three. Number one, we will keep it spotless. When we're not there, it will be clean. So if you do have somebody that comes in and looks at it, it will be clean. We'll keep it up. It'll be nice. Uh, number two, if somebody rents it, we will be out within a week. So if, if you call me on a Monday and you say, I, I found a renter, I need to get you out of there, Ryan, We'll be out within a week. We don't need this month or two month notice. We are okay getting in and out if we need to. And I said, number three, we will pray that you rent your space uh, for the, the going rate. So those were the three promises we made. And we did that. And in fact, later they did call us. They gave us two weeks notice, but we had um, between December 15th and December 31st, which is not the best time to be looking for a space. Yeah. Uh, but we had that time to move out, you know, find a space and move out. Um, but she called me back later. And the reason I didn't know this at the time, the reason she almost laughed at me and didn't even take my offer is the space rented for $11,000 a month. That's how much it was supposed to be. <laughs> and uh, we ended up getting it. We did do it for uh, one year. We had it for $500 a month. And 
it was just it was absolutely amazing so i mean like if i was a business owner i would look at it and say okay i don't have any renters right now so let me get money while i can yeah and then and this guy's so willing to just l- have us kick him out when t- the time's yep. up then yeah, yeah that's a sweet deal yeah so it was really cool. So we had this great big space and, and then we did essentially the same thing. It was for a smaller space, but essentially the same, the same deal. So I think what I would recommend to anybody looking to do anything in life is don't think that just because that's the way it's always been done. That's the way it has to be. Even the way I got my job at the software company, the second time I took the boss out to lunch and I said, look, I'm a great worker. I love your software. It's a Bible software company. I use it. I love it. Uh, and I'll work for you for free for a week. If at the end of the week, you don't think that you want to hire me, don't hire me. But if you want to hire me, then you got to work a week out of me anyway. Um, and that's, that's what I did. I went and worked for them for a week. They couldn't do $0, but they did, they did pay me a little bit. Um, but they, I worked for them for a week and they hired me at the end in a dev survivor thing. They took me up on the roof and threatened to throw me off the roof. And that's what I thought they were going to do. They actually just like, we're doing a, a voting uh, on survivor you know they vote the people off that yeah that, and they kept me on so that's that's a staple in this household i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yep so yeah that's cool um okay i wanted i want to talk about um i, w- I want to ask you like a few questions from like a non-christian perspective here in okay. a minute um I always do this with like with guests that I have. I kind of let them know like what I think about them in like a real way because like I want I want them to know like if I know them personally, I want them to know how important they are to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I I was uh I've been having issues sleeping lately, and so um like the other night I was like really stressed out, and I don't know if God woke me up or if I just woke up, but I. Um, I woke up at like 4 a.m. and I flipped over my phone and I had a notification from the Bible app and it said, what is God trying to tell you right now? Mm. And I was like, is this like a Bruce Almighty situation? Like what's happening right now? You know? And so, so, um, I, I, I swipe it open. I don't have notifications that come through at 4 a.m. I don't know anyone. I mean, outside of like the days when I was in the military, I don't know anyone who operates at 4 a.m. Yeah. Um, And so I, I, I am like literally sitting on my bed at 4 a.m. and it's completely dark. Um, and my wife is doing some youth group stuff for the weekend. So she was gone, but I had my five-year-old daughter next to me laying in the bed. Um, Cause when my wife leaves, I can't sleep for some reason. So I always tell my daughter like, Hey, come sleep in the bed next to me. Um, but I'm, I'm, I swipe open the Bible app and it's just like this little devotional. Um, and it was from a guy in, uh, in Arkansas and he, he's, I guess he's an associate pastor to church and he was his, his devotional. I mean, there's a few scriptures there, but he, his, the, the thing that he was really saying was, um, he's telling the story about how he he's had three heart attacks in his life. Oh wow! Um, and he said every time he's like every time I've had a heart attack, it's like you're laying there and you're like frozen, but you're like looking up, and so much of your life is like flashing before your eyes, but you're like frozen, you can't move. And mm. he's like the the only thing I ever th- think about in those moments is what should I have 
have said to the people that I love and care about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, man, that's weird. And so I read it and I kind of like sat there for a minute and was kind of put myself in those shoes of like, what do I actually, who should I be telling things in my life? Um, and, and then I didn't, it didn't connect that night really. Um, Mm -hmm. and then last night, slash this morning i woke up again it wasn't like a whole god moment again but i was i woke up and i was just thinking about stuff um and i started and i knew that our interview was coming today and so i was thinking about some of that and 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 i was just kind of thinking some of the like the the roads we've been down together and it made me think about um in you know in luke 15 jesus talks about the the two parables um in in the pursuit that that god will chase us with and 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 i was starting to compare that to kind of like our relationship growing up um and and i think ultimately this is why you were a successful youth pastor and will be a successful pastor in whatever endeavors you do um and and i've always kind of connected this as like man if a human being by the name of Ryan was willing to chase a kid who he had no business even having a relationship with whatever you could wipe your hands clean of whatever I was doing, no problem and walked away. It wouldn't have mattered. But for some reason in your mind, you were like, I have to chase this kid. He's doing stupid things. He's ruining his life. And just, just the level of pursuits that you took to chase after me, time after time you know all those years from 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 13 years old all the way to 18 19 years old you just pursued me in such a ridiculous way where me if i if the roles were switched i'd be like screw ryan you know whatever (laughs) you know i would have gone the other way but that i guess that says a little bit about your character and a little bit about my character at the same time but but my point is i just wanted to say thank you there's there's so much um from from the books that you've written um to our relationship over the years and the way that you just re- relentlessly chased me to get mm-hmm. me um going in the right direction and and trying to just speak life to me in that way where you were like god has some things in store for you and you need to like almost like smack me in the face you need to wake up so that you can see them mm-hmm. because you're yeah. being dumb and so um i mean you said a lot nicer but Nowadays, looking back, I can see that that's kind of what you were saying. And, and, and I just remember being in worship one time. We, we used to go to that 252 conference in Tacoma um, and just being in worship one time. And, and, and God just kind of speaking to me in a way where it's like, you're lucky to have that man next to you. You're lucky that I've called him to something that is greater than him and greater than you so that he can change your life and so that he can change these other kids life and so he's in that position for a reason and i just remember like at like i think i was probably like 18 17 18 i just remember hugging you that night and just saying thank you because that i just want you to know that that made such an impact on my life like it's something that i i think about frequently because it's like i really was screwing up on a whole nother level and just knowing that like you know last summer i was preaching at my church you looking at me at 16 17 years old you probably would have been like there's no way i would have never guessed yeah (laughs) that's awesome wow thanks
But uh, some of the questions I wanted to ask you, I just I need to get off my chest because I don't know if I ever communicated that in like a adult level way. <laughs> and so um, um, so, some questions I wanted to ask, because I do have people who are not Christians um, mm-hmm. that, that listen to this. I wanted to ask, like, if we were to just pull the curtain back a little bit and just from like a pastoral perspective, I wanted to ask you just some just easy baseline questions i mean easy to me maybe not easy to you depending on your answer but um <laughs> i was, I was kind of googling some questions about like hey what would what would non-christians ask pastors of churches if if pastors were being completely candid and weren't mm. hiding behind some facade right one yeah. of the things one of the things i <laughs> it's really funny i ran across this article and it was like uh seven reasons why you shouldn't be a christian and one reason why you should and number two was Christians aren't nice, which I just thought was funny. Um, <laughs> but it it, it, it kind of got into the point where it was talking about like, hey, you're, you're not going to meet nice people anywhere. It's, it's not going to be 100 percent nice all the time. Yeah, you know, it, it's mixed. And so um, do you think that. Do you think that when when people become saved and become Christians and really receive that salvation and their life changes that that it changes like a moral compass for them do you think it 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 challenges them to be better people and not not operate in a in i guess in a way where they don't care about anything but they kind of change and they're like i need to do what is right now because of how serious i'm taking this relationship i think there's a piece of that um i would say that We all call it, we, we call it the conscience, right? And, and that's that's this idea of, I know that I've done the wrong thing. Um, as, a, as a non-Christian, typically we would say, well, the, the non-Christian doesn't care, which is not true, right? We, we know a lot of non-Christians who are super nice, who don't cheat, who don't steal. So, I mean, we get that and that exists. I think the difference for in my mind and the way I think about it is Paul wrote that in the Bible, he wrote that when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You are the, the oldest past and the newest come. What was Ryan before I became a Christian? And I, uh, you know, I joked that I became a Christian three times, once at six years old. I wanted to go to heaven once again at eight because they were giving away really cool big Bibles. And then once when I was about 13 is when I really gave my life to Jesus. But when I was 13 and I gave my life to Jesus, the old me had passed away at that point. And I was now a new person. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like you now have this moral compass a hundred percent. Although there is that uh, what you do have is the Holy spirit saying, you know, Hey, Michael, that's not the right way to talk to your wife, Michael. That's, that's, we don't, steal from work the way that we used to. And not only do we have that, that the Holy Spirit saying that, but we have something on the inside that is driving us to, to do that, to be that person. Um, now you can turn that off and, and you don't have to listen to it. And there, there are plenty of Christians who are not nice people, plenty of Christians who steal, but there are a lot of Christians who do all of these things. And it's because they've ignored that voice for long enough uh, that they just haven't gotten there uh, or that they don't hear it anymore. Or there's the other side of that. 
and this is a conversation I had a lot with teenagers is um, because teenagers especially are like when when you realize that something is wrong, whatever it is, it's kind of your job to shout it from the street and tell everybody that what they're doing is wrong. Like, let's say that, you know, blue M&Ms are abomination. We should not eat blue M&Ms. Well, when I learned that I shouldn't eat blue M&Ms, I'm going to tell everybody that they shouldn't eat blue M&Ms. And a conversation I had to have with the students a lot was, uh, and I have to have it with myself, is just because the Holy Spirit is saying something to me right now doesn't mean that that's what he's going to work on in your life right now. So, um, you know, there was a lot of conversations we had about the movies that people watch or the, the music that they listen to or all of those things. And I've really had to say, look, I don't make a good Holy Spirit. I really don't because I'm very condemning. I'm not convicting. I'm just condemning. Uh, I don't <laughs> say the right words. I don't say things that are going to help you move forward. All I do is tell you that you're an idiot for eating blue M&Ms and you should never eat blue M&Ms. Um, but if instead I back up and I go, okay, God doesn't want me to eat blue M&Ms, maybe. And maybe one day he'll tell you that he doesn't want you to eat blue M&Ms or you to listen to that music or whatever. So it may not be that that moral compass is is tuned yet, to use what you use, the, the moral compass idea. It may not be tuned yet for you to say, you know what? I'm not going to watch movies that are like that. But God has told me that I shouldn't watch movies like that. And I can't expect him to be telling you the same thing. Because if he was telling us all the same thing, we'd be exactly the same. And, and you know, one of us is not necessary. So, I don't yeah. know. That, yeah. That answers, yeah, that totally answers. That makes sense. Um, well, I want to piggyback off that, actually. Um, there's, there's people in life, I mean, you've seen it, especially dealing with teenagers, but um, that believe that they shouldn't operate in um i guess we'll call it secularism so mm -hmm. i shouldn't i should only watch christian movies or or movies that have a pg-13 and yeah. lower rating i should yeah. only listen to christian music um um and i mean that's kind of how i got introduced to like christian music and outside of mm -hmm. worship like actual christian music christian rock yeah. christian rap christian whatever yeah. um and i still thoroughly enjoy that stuff today but i also listen to other stuff mm -hmm. um what would you say to someone who said if you're going to be a christian you have to operate in that light of um yeah. not not allowing well, i've heard it plenty of times um just because you're in the world doesn't mean you need to be of the world. Right. Yep, so they say, what so say, yeah. what you hear and what you see is, uh, can directly affect you. And, and as we all know, music is very powerful. Um, it, it can bring up tons of different emotions with different people. I mean, it varies from person to person, but what would you say about getting people who feel the need to get rid of the, the secular part of things? Yeah. Only do the Christian thing. That's a tough one for me. Um, and I go back and forth on it. And I think that's one of those things where the Holy Spirit is going to work on us at different levels at different times. Um, I will say my answer as a dad is way different than my answer as a man. Uh, my answer as a dad is I don't think my kids should be listening to that crap uh, <laughs> because it's just like there's just not good in it. Uh, and it, it's leading them the wrong direction. But that's as a human 
selfish dad. Um, the reality is for my kids, um, if they were completely separate from the world, that um, they would have nothing in, in connection and in, in, in common with the world. And I have to go back to World Changers Youth Ministry, changing the world one relationship at a time. If I had nothing in common with you, I mean, and we don't have a lot in common, right? You're way more into sports than I am. We both know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually going to ask you, I got some poster of a football player on my wall in my office as a prank. And it was like uh, some Seahawks, Bobby, somebody Bobby Wagner. Yes. Bobby Wagner is like, yeah. I don't even know who that is, but Michael will know who it is. He's so, good. That's all you need to know. He's really good. <laughs> <laughs> but so we, we don't have that in common, but we did have other things in common. And I think when you separate yourself completely from the world, you don't have any point of connection and it's really difficult to connect with those. Uh, most of my series that I've preached have had some what we would call worldly or secular connection, right? They've, uh, they are from a concept that's from the world. We did a series back in youth called prison break. And it was when the TV show prison break was popular. And if, if I had said, you know, I'm not going to do anything that is even remotely secular. Uh, I wouldn't have drums. I wouldn't have guitars. We would, we would just say, you know what, we're just going to sit here and we're going to read our scrolls because we wouldn't have books, you know, and we can't do that. The reality is we are in this world and there, there are benefits and values to understanding where culture is. Now, I think the risk is it's easy to get sucked into that culture and to get uh, kind of wrapped up in it and wear it like a nice warm blanket and, Really, God is supposed to be your blanket and your relationship with Jesus is supposed to be your blanket. And that's where it gets a little bit tough. Uh, I have often said, you might not have ever even heard this, Michael. I love, and you're going to be very offended. You might not be offended. I don't know. I love Eminem's style of rap. I love it. I absolutely love it. I wish it wasn't trash because I would listen to it. I don't listen to it because... It's just not something I want to be putting into my brain every day. Uh, but you, I do. You mean it. you mean the the words that he's using and the the message that he's bringing with it? Yes, his. But message. you but you like his style. I love his style. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so my kids have turned me on to NF, who is very yeah. similar to his style. But... He's incredible. I listen yeah. to a lot of Christian rap, so yeah, yeah, NF is great. Yeah. So yeah, I. It's a, it's a really tough line for me. There was a season in our lives where we stopped watching R-rated movies because that was something the Holy Spirit said to us. But we didn't go to our students and go, and you guys shouldn't watch R-rated movies. And we didn't go to our lead pastor and go, and you need to stop watching R-rated movies. The Holy Spirit said that to us. Right now, we do watch R-rated movies, some with a purpose or with, you know, with we'll look and see, okay, what is the content? Is it something that we're willing to to put because we are putting it into our hearts are we willing yeah. to put that in um you know and, and the r-rated movie thing is weird right because the passion of the christ came out several years ago and all of a sudden r-rated movies were okay <laughs> but it but it with that i i feel like the r the rating on it is is so weird sometimes because like yes. like specific 
specifically with the passion, it's like, hey, this is blood and guts. This is gory. But yep. at the time, very much needed to tell the story of what actually happened to Jesus. Absolutely. Very realistic. Yeah. Um, and and that's what people kind of lose sight of sometimes. Um, yep. My thing with R-rated movies is why is it R-rated? Is it because every other scene's a sex scene, or is it because the language is really bad, or what is it exactly? Yeah, what you is know? It? And so, yeah. um, I think they could fit into different uh, categories oh, yeah. there. But the the way you know, going to what you're talking about, the way the Holy Spirit kind of interacts with us uh, individually and on different levels, because you know, I might struggle with something that you don't struggle with, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I've always I had a guy on the podcast that. Um, has battled addiction his whole life. Right. Mm -hmm. And and he's talking about how he couldn't, he couldn't just drink a couple of beers and be okay. You know, yeah. I, I don't struggle with that issue. So like I could hang out with friends and be yeah. at the beach and drink some beer and be fine. Um, but there are certain people in life who really struggle with addiction and they'll get that beer and, and they'll get that first taste of it and they'll say, I want to do this until I black out, you know? Yep. And so that's obviously an issue. Um, yeah. but so like, same thing, you know, it's like, it's different levels for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that a, a different issue or, or way to look at that. Um, I, I don't drink. We started out, um, my, my parents didn't drink. And now it's like, I look at it and it's just like, that's expensive enough. I'll stay away. But there was a season where I, I had to make the conscious decision. Am I going to drink or am I not going to drink? And what does that look like for me? And one of the things I did was kind of the opposite, right? You wouldn't necessarily go, go around that, that guy or that friend and, and, you know, chug a couple back, right? Because you know that it's going to potentially put him at risk right. of pushing forward. Well, for me, it was my wife. It was a moral issue for her. Like she feels strongly that you shouldn't drink. That's just something that she grew up with. And I think she's loosened on it a little bit. But me drinking would have caused her to sin in the other direction, not because it would have caused her to go get drunk, but because it would have caused her to kind of deal with pride. Right. Like, oh, you know, here I, I'm this good Christian girl. I don't drink. And here is my my husband, the pastor who drinks. Um so I think it works. You have to really watch who you're with and and what you're what you're causing them to to where you where you can cause them to stumble without even realizing it. Yeah, it's like it it in in every atmosphere, certain things are appropriate and certain things yep. aren't. And so, Definitely, absolutely. Um, uh, another question I wanted to ask you, which is just very like base level. One of my friends actually texting me this a while back <laughs> and and i didn't it's such a weird question that i feel like is a very common question but i don't know how to answer it and that mm -hmm. question is why do bad things happen to good people if someone is yeah. um is inherently good then why do bad things happen to them and the scripture that i go to all the time is um, I don't remember where it is, but it, it pops in my brain every time that question comes up. And um, the Bible talks about no one is good, not even one person. I think about that and I'm like, OK, so what's your criteria for good? Because that's a big thing. Um, having your morals in check and being a nice person and being friendly and all that stuff, that doesn't necessarily make you good. That makes you good in the eyes of another human being. 
But in the eyes of God, who says if it wasn't for Jesus paying the ultimate price for everything that you and every other human on earth has done and will do in the future, um, then we we would all get what's coming to us, which is death, because the wages yeah. of sin is death. Right. So yeah. um, is that kind of the direction that you would go on that? Yeah, there's a couple of pieces to it. Number one, you're absolutely right. Um, you you have to look at your definition of good. Um, we as humans have such a sliding scale uh, for good. And not only is it a sliding scale, but my definition for what is good for me, I usually judge by what my intentions were. Like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but I judge you on your exterior actions because I don't know what your intentions were. So we could both say the same thing to, you know, say there's a third person here. We could both say the same thing. We both hurt their feelings. And I look at myself and go, well, I didn't actually mean to hurt their feelings. I just wanted to help them get better as a person. But Michael, man, he's a jerk. Like he hurt their feelings. And like, I can't believe he did that. Right. Same thing. But because I don't see your intentions and I do see mine, I think I'm good and you're bad. Uh, So goodness is is a really tough thing. And the Bible is very clear that we were all born into sin. And it doesn't take very long before you look at a kid who is throwing a temper tantrum in the grocery store because they didn't get the lollipop they wanted or the candy bar they wanted to go. Yeah, that that kid, there is sin in there somewhere. Maybe it's not much, but it's it's in there and it's very, very clear. the reason bad things happen, we'll just leave off the good people, right? Why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because there's sin in the world. We live in a broken world and uh, the world is falling apart. And it's, it's very obviously falling apart. If you just look at it, even Jesus said that in the last days, there, there would be more earthquakes. There'd be more famines, more, more wars. Like just the world is getting worse, not better. And that's because it's broken. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, They broke the world. Uh, They broke their connection with God and God's connection with the world. So that's why bad things happen. There's sin. Uh, Bad things happen because people make mistakes, right? Uh, Why does somebody get in an accident? You know, not because they were doing anything bad, but because they were working a, a double shift three days in a row and they fell asleep at the wheel and went across the freeway and, and killed a family of six on the way home. Right? Like that's just, that's not anybody sinning. It's just the world is broken and we make bad decisions and just things don't go well. So that's that's kind of my my big answer is the world is broken and you have to look at good and and just say, okay, really um, we're we're not as good as we like to think we are. And yeah. if you think you are, just kind of look at your motives for why you even do good things. Mostly it's because you want good things to happen to you. So even if you just look at your motives, your motives are not always pure. So I know mine aren't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, last question. And then, and then we'll close out here. Um, All right. at, at my church, we, we talk about, um, big C church and little C church. And huh? so what we mean by that big C church is the church collectively across the world coming together with kind of the same mission and little Mm -hmm. C church being one specific location, one body of people gathering at one time. Um, So within that, you can't help, but especially in the days of COVID now um, you kind of look across YouTube, you see a lot of like uh, churches online streaming. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, take your pick of the mega church pastors across the country, but, um, I've always, I think part of the reason why I go to my church is, or why I was attracted to kind of, um, the style of church that we have and, um, the way that my pastor is and stuff like that. Um, I've been to a lot of churches where it's about what clothes you're wearing, you know, how nice are your shoes? Um, how, how, uh, outlandish you are in the way of pretending to be something that you're not. Um, I remember I went to a church a few years back and the pastor's wife got up on stage and she said, any cheerful givers out there and everyone erupts like they're at a football game or something. And I'm like, okay, one, that's not real Two, the average age of people in here is 19 years old. You're not a cheerful giver. You're 19. You're not even, even making any money really, you know? (laughs) And so like, there's like all these things internally that are kind of going through my brain. And so I'm like the, the, the author, authenticity in this place is not where it should be because if people are being honest, like if you're being really honest with yourself, you don't want to tithe, Hmm. but as a Christian and as what God says you should do, you feel that you should because God has put this in the word that, Hey, this is what you need to do because this is what I say, you know? And so you're moved by that and you say, I tithe now. I, give my time, I give my money, I give my, uh, my, my service to this. Right. And so one of the things that attracts me to my church is biblically, I feel like we're very sound and we, we go after things and we kind of throw the, the, you know, the pretty party favors and the, the fancy clothes and, and all that stuff to the side. And we're like, there will be a time and a place for that. That'll always be there. Mm-hmm. But for right now, we need to do this. So yeah. as, I, as I look across Big C Church across the world, it's specifically in America. Do you think America, the American church, is has kind of like lost its way a little bit as far as like um, deeming what is important and what, what we should really be focusing on? Because I feel like sometimes it's like, hey, we're putting on a concert. We're not. Yeah. Are, are we preaching to the world? What's really going on here? I think that is uh, that's a really good question to ask, and I I think there are <clears throat> there are churches in America who have definitely lost their way. I think there are churches in America. I <clears throat> going back to the drinking thing, right? So there are, there are churches who are like they're far out there, and it's not about Jesus anymore. It's not about reaching people. And then there are people on the other side who who do say like, well, look at them. They have 5,000 people in their church. They must be doing something wrong uh, because, you know, we have 10 of the most chosen people here. So I think both sides have pieces that they can learn from the other. Uh, That's one of the big struggles with large churches is how do you how do you do relationship in such a large in a large church? Um, How do you? do but one of the reasons that we moved to our church that we're in now so the church we're in uh, right now is we were running before covid about 600 people a week so sizable church not the not a mega church by any any imagination but a sizable church the church we left kind of bumped along the runway and uh, or the church we we had planted 
Um, so we were under 30. Well, both of those churches have really valuable things about them, right? The smaller church, we knew everybody by name. We knew when their birthday was. We could call them every week. We could talk. We could hang out. They knew who our kids were. They knew everything about us, and we knew everything about them. The bigger church, though, had a lot more than $1,000 to give to one family if they wanted to use it, right? They sent people around the world on mission trips, something our little church could never dream of doing. Uh, so they both had their advantages, and it's really tough to look at one and go, what is, you know, what are they doing right or what are they doing wrong? And I think the reality is kind of, it's kind of what we've been talking about all night, right? Is you've got to look at what does God have for you and what does God want your church to do? What does God have for you to minister to? Because um, the reality is it doesn't matter whether this church or that church or that church is doing what God wants them to do on some level if I am not doing what God wants me to do. Uh, so I can I can do that all I want. But the reality is if if I'm not reaching out to that family with that little girl right where God put me, then I, I don't get to point and say, well, but they didn't help. This big church in Everett that had way more funds, like they could have paid off their house if they wanted to. Um, but, yeah. They didn't, right? But God had us there to love on that family. Um, has the church lost its way? I think the American church is very much about comfort, uh, very, very much about comfort. And as I read what Jesus said, he wasn't talking about comfort. He was never preaching comfort. Um, he was preaching, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. They didn't even know what it meant at the time. We only know looking back what it meant, right? Um, he said, they're not going to like you. Uh, he said, you know, when you follow me, you're going to have tribulation, uh, but be yeah. a good cheer because I've overcome that tribulation, but, but you're going to have troubles. You're going to have struggles. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're not going to fight. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have, have struggles. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think in some ways we have turned into a culture of comfort. And that's a really tough thing to overcome. And I think it just, it become you have to overcome it one person at a time looking and going, okay, what does God have for me to do? And it's really tough. And I want to encourage anybody listening. If you're in that place, don't look at what Michael's doing and go, well, obviously God wants me to start a podcast and interview people about Christianity because God probably doesn't want that for you, but he may want you to talk to your neighbor and just say, Hey, how are you doing today? Is there anything I can pray about? Um, one day I, I have not done this since, and I, I should, we were at a restaurant and I, I've never done it before and I've not done it since, but I really felt like I needed to do this. We were out with, uh, four friends, two, two couples and Lisa and me, and we're getting ready to go do an escape room, which is, they're amazing. If you've never done one, you need to. Yeah. We've but, done a couple of them. Yeah. They're a blast. But so we're getting ready to eat and the waitress comes, you know, they bring their food, your food. And they always ask every waitress who's worth their salt or waiters who's worth his salt says, is there anything else you need or what else, you know, anything else I can get you? And I said, actually, there is one other thing. We're getting ready to eat and we're going to pray. And I said, is there anything for you or somebody here on staff that we could pray for? And uh, she was really touched and surprised. And she told us about uh, the bartender, actually, of all things, we're getting ready to pray. And she's telling us about the bartender because it's a, I don't know, Red Robin like restaurant. But uh, she said, 
uh, she, I think it was a, she just lost a, f- a friend of hers very close to her. Um, if you could pray for her, that'd be really great. And so I prayed and just normal. We went around our, went about our business and she came back later and was just so touched. But really for me, it wasn't even like, that was cool. And that probably, she's going to think about that for a while. And, but the four people that we were at the table with were like, do you, do you do that? regularly like is that something you do and i said no that's nothing i've ever done it's just i really felt like i needed to my group of christian friends kind of like woke up and went oh yeah it's not just about us being a christian group of comfortable people like we're here to make a difference in the world and i think that we've all got to remember that regardless of of what is comfortable for us in church or whether we like to dress up or not dress up or um, I had some friends that were like, oh man, we went to a church and it was a clapping church, you know, during the, the music they clap and, and it just, we all have our different levels of comfort, but the reality is if the Holy Spirit is telling us to do something, we've got to do it, uh, or we're, or we're disobeying. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about a lot is, you know, the, the story in the Bible where Jesus goes, you know, it's the story of the cleansing of the temple. And mm-hmm. he's outside the temple and he sees that there's all those tables and they got all this, they're yeah. selling all this stuff. And, you know, it's yeah. just almost like this market thing and Jesus sees it. And I feel like he kind of like stews on it for a second and he just allows his like rage to like <laughs> take over for a second and he flips over the tables. And a lot of people who are non-Christians might look at that and say, Oh, look, his anger's getting the best of him." And, and, and I would even kind of go back at him a little bit and say, it's like, he, he's disgusted with, with what they're doing because this is a, this is a holy place. This is supposed to be a holy place. And we've taken it and, and turned it into something that is, that is totally different and from what the original purpose was. And so that's kind of like the root of where that question came from. Um, And so, yeah, I was just, I, I wanted to ask you that question because of that. So, yeah, I, I think so. I think there is definitely a piece of that that is that is a problem. But, you know, anytime we get too comfortable and are not willing to step out and do what God's asking or telling us to do, uh, that's a problem. And it's it's not going to end well. So that's okay. good. Well, uh, that will be it for us tonight. Ryan, thank you for joining. Thank you for talking a little bit about your story. And uh, it was a blast having you on. Thanks. It was fun. Okay.